Blog Talk Radio. Turn on the light. Save the world from darkness, yeah. Turn on the light. Won't you please, my friend, yeah. Welcome to the Turn on the Light broadcast with Pastor Stephen and Ann Butterfield. We are Assistant Pastors of Light of the World Christian Tabernacle International Church in Stockbridge, Georgia, with our awesome leaders, Bishop Ruth W. Smith and Pastor Supreme Austin. We are so glad that you have tuned in. We are going to show you a God that will bring you out. So call your neighbors and call your friends. Call Lottie Dottie and everybody. Tell them that the Turn on the Light broadcast is on the air. Tell them to dial 917-388-4161. And while you're getting your neighbors and your friends, here's a song just for you. Oh. 
testing. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. I dare you to call on us tonight. Whatever you need, whatever you're facing, call on the name of Jesus. If you're sick, call on us. Jehovah Rapha, he's your healer tonight. If you're lacking, call on us. Jehovah Jireh, if you need peace, call on Jehovah Shalom, hallelujah. Whatever you need, I dare you to call on hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, thank you for calling in to turn on the light broadcast with Pastor Stephen and Ann Butterfield. I'm Brother Norman Woodard and I'm sitting in for them tonight. Uh, they had other obligations celebrating their son's birthday. We love you. God bless you. Thank God for you. Hallelujah. I'm introducing the speaker tonight, Pastor Clifford Fair out of Kentucky. I call him the dissector. Because he takes the word and he 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 has surgery with it. Glory to God, anointed man of God. Love is teaching. Pastor Stephen and Ann Butterfield, they're they're the assistant pastors at Light of the World Christian Tabernacle, where the leaders are Archbishop Ruth W. Smith, who is also the co-founder, and the senior pastor is Bishop Kevin Jones. They have services every Sunday beginning at 9 o'clock with Sunday school, 10 o'clock begins their worship service. They have Bible studies every Wednesday, actually every Wednesday at noon, Eastern Standard Time. You can call into this number, 917-388-4161, and you can listen to their Bible study live. They also have Bible studies at their location every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's Light of the World, Christian Tabernacle International in Stockbridge, Georgia. You can catch them on Facebook, YouTube, and their website is comingtothelight.org. Comingtothelight.org. You can also support the Butterfield Ministry Worldwide. Their website is www.butterfieldsministryworldwide.com. So without further ado, we're going to bring in Pastor Fair. Pastor Fair, you on the air, sir. Good evening, Brother Woodard. How are you this evening? I'm doing great, sir. Good to hear your voice. It is always good to be here and uh, to see and hear what the Lord has for us. And uh, tonight is not going to be any different than the other night. And I appreciate the accolades of the dissector. I, it's the it's first time someone said that to me. Uh, I, I take that uh, with respect and honor. And uh, we're going to be in the book of Jonah tonight. Uh, and we're going to look at some things that uh, kind of was sparked by a Sunday school lesson. The title uh, was No Compassion. And 
the one thing that God wants us to have is compassion, and we're going to take a look at that. Uh, to give us a brief synopsis of the study that I've done, Jonah has now been told twice, as we see in the first verse of chapter 3 of Jonah, that, to go to Nineveh. Jonah, he didn't go out of fear. He didn't want to go out of fear or disrespect. He didn't want to go because the Ninevites were Assyrians, which were his enemies. And so he was showing no compassion on his enemies, towards his enemies, even though God had spoken to him twice. So this being a brief synopsis of what is going to be we're going to be covering tonight, let's just give God some praise. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come before your throne of grace to gather together to share your word. Father, we ask that you open our hearts and our minds and our ears, that we might hear what you have to say, Father. Take me out of the picture. Let people hear your words, Father. Let people's lives be changed by the power of your word that comes forth. And for all of these things, we give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Knowing that we're looking at no compassion, but it's, it's ironic. In the third chapter of Jonah, mm-hmm. chapter 3 represents Jonah's Groundhog Day. You, know, you heard me right. Jonah's Groundhog Day. A chance at a rerun of that monumentally significant day when he began the long, defiant walk from his home in Gath Epper and headed for the port of Joppa that we saw in chapter 1, verse 3, and he kept going. Jonah kept going, and now God speaks again to Jonah. This time, his word to Jonah is met with full-hearted obedience. Jonah takes an even longer walk to Nineveh, where his warnings of judgment is embraced by the, as the word of God. Throughout the city, the universal response is one of repentance, leading to the staying of God's hand in judgment. You see, Jonah was given a second chance. I, just a synopsis there of, of, of my idea, my picture, when God told Jonah the first time and Jonah ran, you could almost picture that uh, Jonah was having some kind of fear or doubts or something that uh, we hadn't gotten into yet. But we see, and you'd almost suspect that the Ninevites are particularly suspicious or superstitious people. Because imagine, if you will, Jonah being in the belly of a whale for three days, the acids in that whale's stomach, in my mind, would have bleached him white as a sheet of paper. And mm-hmm. then he spit up on the, the dry ground in Nineveh. The people see this ghostly man saying, hear the word of the Lord. And to me, in my mind, they scatter because of their superstition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like I said, that's just a, a supposition on my part. Since Jonah is given another chance here in the third chapter of Jonah. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time, as we see in verse 1. Jonah was not the first servant of the Lord to have been given another chance. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. Boy, aren't we glad that we serve a God of a hundred second chances, because we all have been given that second chance. And Jonah will not be the last one either. The words of Jesus in Matthew 12, 20, that the Lord's anointed servant, Jesus himself, will not break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick. 
indicate that it is God's habit not to discard those who fail him. You see, for that right there, we've got reason to shout and jump and dance and, and rejoice because God does not make it a habit of discarding those who fail him. That fits right. us to a T. We fail him every single day in multiple ways, but he does not discard us. He keeps using us. Wind instruments blow through a reed. If the reed is damaged in any way, it leads to a dull, hollow sound. For all practical purposes, a bruised reed really is worthless, and it's easily replaced. So, too, is flax, which is, when damp, only billows out smoke and never ignites. In either case, the obvious remedy is the easiest. Give up and start again. But the Lord refuses to break the bruised reed or quenched the smoking flax. He does not drop team members who left him and, and the rest of the team down. He does not have to use Jonah but chooses to do so. In fact, God delights to build up his church with what would otherwise be rejects. Oh, folks, God chooses to build up his church with us, those that would otherwise be rejects. He's talking about us. We don't know how long Jonah had to recuperate from his experience. However, the urgency of the situation and the pace of the narrative indicates minimal delay. The Lord speaks. Jonah gets up and goes the second time he speaks. We see in verses 1 and 2, there are so many things, so many ways in which the Lord could have spoken to Jonah. He could have reminded him of the disaster surrounding the first commissioning. The Lord could have warned him that he was about to get the last chance to prove himself. He could have reminded him of his vow in chapter 2, verse 9. You see, somebody, we all forget about the vow that God has previously given us. 2 verse 9, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So we have the same vow. Salvation is of the Lord. Or God could have sought to persuade him of the benefits of obedience and the need for Nineveh to hear the message. Instead, the Lord simply tells Jonah to go to the same place, the same people with the same urgency. After all, the wickedness of Nineveh and the Ninevites has not abated. They were still out of control. On the other hand, the mercy of God in forgiveness has not relented either. Folks, how much is that being spoken to us right here, right now, today? God's hand of mercy has not faltered to us in forgiveness and has not relented. It still goes on no matter how much we fail him. Jonah must go with the same God-given message. He is not free to add to it. He's not free to embellish it or soften it in any way. Neither is he to change his style. There is no difference between the proclaim to them in chapter 3, verse 2 that we see, and go unto Nineveh, the great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. And the preach against it in chapter 1, verse 2. 
Arise, go to Nineveh. Now, this is the first time that God spoke to, to Jonah in chapter 1, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Woo! You see, God shows their wickedness continues to come up before the Lord. And Jonah must cry out against it. The task that Jonah had is every bit as demanding as the first time around. It still means taking up his cross and following the Lord. Does that sound familiar, folks, that we are to pick up our cross daily and follow the Lord? Even though God is speaking to Jonah here, he's speaking very clearly to us. So Jonah is in exactly the position he was in before. The only change being in Jonah himself. He has been to the depths, wiped his feet on the welcome mat of grace, and returned. And Jonah is not the same man. I mean, how could he be? He just spent three days in the belly of a whale because of his disobedience with God. He even showed that he was angry before the Lord. And what did God ask him? As we get into going to uh, chapter 4 as well, he says, God asked Jonah point blank, is it right for you to be angry? We'll, we'll get into that, but that's an interesting question that God asked Jonah. Because Jonah was choosing, freely choosing, not to show compassion. The last time, and Jonah's response to all of this we see in verses 3 through 4. Uh, so Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into a, day's, a city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Even though Jonah was responding in this manner to the Lord, he decided to go on because God got his attention. How many times does God have to get our attention when, when we know that God has told us to do something and we, like Jonah, put flight on our feet because perhaps it's an enemy that God has told us to go to. And perhaps we, like Jonah, choose not to show compassion to that person or to those people. Mm. Mm. Yes, sir. Again, we're told that Nineveh is a great or important city. Verses one, chapter one, verse two, verse three, verse three, or chapter three, verse three. It was a great in its own eyes, and therefore suffered from the guilt of pride. It was also great in the eyes of its enemies, and therefore the reaction, their reaction of fear. But more than that. It was also great in the eyes of God. Its greatness in wickedness drew the wrath. Helping us, although drew his compassion. We see that in uh, chapter 4, verse 11, which says, And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons, that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. That breaks down to be 120,000 people that was there in Nineveh, that God was trying to get their attention. The Lord cared about uh, the great Nineveh. 
That's why he sent Jonah. It's a three-day journey from where Jonah was. In the description of the size of Nineveh, we are told that it was a city of three days' journey. Commentators take different views as to what this might mean. <clears throat> Some say it refers to the time it would take to circumnavigate the entire city. Others take it to mean that it was a thorough visit to every part of the city and would take three days. Some believe that the days came from the first day of arrival, the second day of the visit proper, and the third day of departure. A more recent view is that it comes from the appropriate period of protocol given to a foreign guest visiting an important city. In some ways, it doesn't matter. We are told repeatedly throughout the book that Nineveh was great. This writer in his way, it was his way of saying the, the, how big the city was. You see, this in chapter 4, that's the only place we see how great the city of Nineveh is, how large it is. Even though, yes, it was later destroyed by Babylon, Jonah's trip there was productive because it shows in chapter 3 that they repented, they dressed in sackcloth, and they went into a time of fasting and prayer. And so... Jonah, after he decided to obey the Lord, it accomplished what it was supposed to do. Just like we're told, the Bible says that uh, God's word will not go, will go forth and do what it's purpose to do and not return unto him void. God knew by sending Jonah that this city was going to change. They were going to repent from their sins. But the thing about it, see, God knew to show compassion to these Ninevites, just the same way he expects us to show compassion to everybody that we have contact with, everybody that God may send us out to reach out to. We are to show that same kind of compassion. You see, at first, because they were Jonah's enemies, because they were Assyrians, because they were uh, his enemies, he was rebelling against God, and he knew he was. He didn't want to go. He didn't want to show compassion. But we ought to consider the possibility that the Lord intends us to see something else here. Mention three days in the context of Jonah, and we immediately recall his three days inside the fish. Are we intending to draw some conclusions from that connection, perhaps? It could be, for instance, that the Lord is telling us that although disobedience may lead us to the threshold of death and the feeling of abandonment by the Lord, so too might obedience. Jonah had spent three days in the place of God's judgment. Now he must go another three days to rescue others who are also under God's judgment. For Jonah, both experiences were unwelcome, but the Lord brought him through them. How many times have we faced tasks ourselves that have been unwelcome, that we showed our disobedience, that we showed that we didn't want to have compassion, but God's plan was far better than ours, far greater than ours. As God brought us through it, he showed us exactly how well his plan worked. 
with the message that we're seeing here in chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Jonah was extremely short. As he began on the first day of his street walk towards the center of Nineveh, he just repeated over and over and over again, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Can you imagine? Here's this man bleached out from the, the uh, acids in the whale's stomach going around saying this to what I call a superstitious people. He's, he's bleached out white as snow, and he's going around telling in 40 days that this city will be overturned. Many people think Jonah must have had, said a lot more, which is not recorded. Doubtless, he did. But it may have been that he simply answered the natural question fired at him from people whose consequences had been stirred. They would have been anxious to find out about this God who was threatening them. Uh, we would today if somebody walked into our city and said Atlanta's going to be destroyed in 40 days. Henderson, Kentucky's going to be destroyed in 40 days. We'd want to know more about it. We'd be tapping this man on the shoulder saying, hey, man, what's that? Where, where, where are you getting this? And when, then, when uh, Jonah would reply to them, this is the message from the God that I serve, the God that is going to destroy you should you not repent. This would make me want to know who this God is that he's talking about. This would pique my uh, questions, my concerns. Uh, I could see how it, back in the day it would have definitely caused them to start a day of fasting and ash and sackcloth. And what they had done specifically, which had angered him so, was what could they do to a, a, a usage his wrath. The situation demanded answers. And Jonah wasn't prepared to give them right away. Clearly the message that Nineveh would be overthrown was a devastating one. It would be a solemn message of impending judgment and suggested that something cataclysmic would shortly be falling. This was the issue at the heart of Jonah's grievance. He had prophesied destruction and would only be happy if it came to pass. However, the word translated overthrown can also mean turn upside down. In the New Testament, we're shown that God, that Jesus came into this world to turn it upside down. And knowing that, how come we see so many of God's people in today's world living upside-down lives. Wow. You stop and you think about that. You think about what Jonah is, the message that he's trying to portray. You think about the message that Jesus tried to portray when he said himself that he came into this world to turn this world upside down. How come we see with our own eyes so many of God's people living upside-down lives? Woo! In other words, if Nineveh had experienced a complete and radical change of heart, she could have legitimately be described as having been overthrown. This is, of course, precisely what happened. The embodiment of the message, 
of Jonah. There's an account of a man who survived being swallowed by a sperm whale in 1891. Although some doubt has been cast upon its authenticity, initially thought to have been lost at sea in a whaling accident, James Bartley was discovered when the whale was caught and cut open a couple of days later. He was pulled from the stomach unconscious, but he came round and eventually resumed his life as a whaler. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? God showed this example by showing Jonah that it happened. Then we see an account that happened 1891, several thousands of years later, and yet the same exact thing that happened to Jonah happened to James Bartley. Mm. The significant aspect of the account is that for the rest of his life, he was strangely bleached. Now, see, this is where I got the idea that Jonah was bleached because this man was bleached. His skin was bleached. His hair was bleached. Everything was as white as snow. So that kind of, that supports what I feel, I felt uh, as a, as a, uh, a destination of what happened to Jonah. The further I got into this study, the further I looked at it. So here's this man that's white as snow telling the people Nineveh is going to be destroyed in 40 days. You know, uh, it would get our attention if we saw somebody that was bleached out like that. We, it's not something we would just push aside. We'd say, wait a minute, who is this guy? What is he talking about? So consider that he had laid in gastric acids, the, the James Bartley of the whale's stomach, at temperatures around 105 degrees. Its fit is hardly surprising. The same thing goes for Jonah. It's not unreasonable to think that Jonah was similarly bleached. So it's so difficult to imagine the people holding back from the inevitable question. Well, what happened to you? His story would then unfold as a living example of the truth he proclaimed. Even in this pure conjecture, it is nonetheless true that Jonah himself was a living embodiment of his message. Now, can you imagine that? Both Jonah and the Ninevites had willfully ignored God's word to them. Although the case of the Ninevites and the voice of God came in directly to them through their consequences, both Jonah and the Ninevites, as a consequence, faced the imminent judgment of the Lord. Jonah could tell them that he had duly turned from his sin and cried out to the Lord because it was sure death where Jonah was headed in the belly of the whale. But that whale spit him up on dry ground because that was God's plan. There was no need to explain his deliverance and restoration in detail. That much was self-evident. He probably stunk the high heaven, too, you know, because what comes out of a fish's stomach doesn't smell real good. The personal testimony of Jonah and the message he declared were all with a peace. At both aspects reinforcing the other in a powerful plea to the Ninevites to repent and to turn to the living 
God. You see, folks, we have the same opportunity in front of us. When God directs us to someone that we don't particularly want to go to, we've got to remember to show compassion to that person. Let's say God sends us to someone on the street. We don't want to do anything about them. No, I don't want to give them money because I'll go spend it on alcohol or cigarettes or something else. If God tells you to give it to them, you're supposed to show compassion and leave it up to God to be the judge because we're not supposed to be the judge. You see, when God puts us in a situation, the first thing that we should be thinking about is compassion. We shouldn't think about circumstance. We shouldn't think about anything else. We should think about the compassion that our Heavenly Father would expect us to show in that situation, even if it is towards our enemies. Chapter 3, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. So we can see Jonah's uh, Ninevites response here. Verse 5 is a key moment in the book, just as chapter 2, verse 1 had been a key moment for Jonah from inside the fish, the prayer that Jonah prayed. 2, verse 1, prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Although it was obvious that the Ninevites believed what Jonah was telling them about their city being overthrown. This is how it is recorded. Rather, we are told that they believed God. Isn't that what it's all about, folks? They don't have to believe us if they believe God. They took Jonah to be a faithful prophet and embraced the message he was bringing them from the Lord. It was God's message they heard and God's message they believed. However, Believing God goes deeper. It goes deeper than just believing what they've been told. That so applies to us. You stop and you think about it. How deep does it go to hear what God says, and how far can we take that? It also means that they believed in God. Woo! Folks, he's talking to us. He can put our, we can put our names right in there along with Jonah. Pastor Fair, uh, Brother Woodard, we can put our names right in there with Jonah. They were not merely heeding his warning, but were casting themselves upon God. The declaration of a fast and the wearing of sackcloth was an outward cry, an outward expression. Reflecting a genuine and heartfelt turning away from sin But the fact that they believed in God Indicates that the turning away Was matched by a turning to At the same time In a single movement They turned their backs upon their old way Their old life And they turned their faces in hope Of the God of mercy. Oh, my goodness. How much can this apply to us today? Simply because Jonah chose to show no compassion. We have to face the fact that we do this on a daily basis. 
We do not want to face what God is telling us to do because it involves compassion. How many times has God told us to go on a fast and we haven't done so? Why? We're not showing compassion even for ourselves. A fast is declared. It may have been a little more than a formal recognition of what was already happening since they were grieving over their sin. Nineveh was already grieving over their sin. And those who grieve do not feel like eating. They also put on sackcloth, thick, coarse cloth made from goat's hair. It symbolized their inner self-abasement. Jonah's preaching put a torch to the very fabric of Ninevite society. Once ignited, the flames swept all before it, engulfing every social group from the greatest to the least. They were to reach the palace itself. You go on into chapter 4 and you see that. You see the, the reaction. You see what was going on. The change that they show in, in uh, chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. Has there ever been a revival which swept up a community quite so universally as Nineveh? Under the preaching of Jonah, from all quarters, from all social spectrum, people were gripped with shame and sorrow for their sin. Turning from it, they cried out, to God. And when God saw it, he had, here we go, compassion on them. And he lifted his threat of destruction in verse 10. Look at that. Look at verse 10. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that would he would do unto them, and he did not. By some, it's been described that the greatest revival in the world, in the history of world, although others, some would disagree. A surprising outcome that we see because of Jonah's finally obedience. Nineveh's reaction to Jonah was all the more remarkable because the message itself, the message itself seemed so Absurd. Here's 120,000 people that this one man is saying your city's going to be destroyed in 40 days. That was God's message through Jonah. Your city is going to be destroyed in 40 days, lest you repent. Mm. One strange looking foreigner, Jonah, standing in front of a towering wall, repeating endlessly that the city would be overturned in 40 days. It, it invited mockery. Yes, there were people that were mocking Jonah, laughing at him, scorning him. Who would possibly ever overturn Nineveh? You know, and that's what they were thinking because of their size. In any normal circumstances, Jonah would, at best, have been left out of town and ignored as a mad fool. At the same time, he could have expected persecution or even execution. Certainly other prophets had met their death for lesser predictions and less hostile surroundings. And the repentance of Nineveh 
was remarkable because the message appeared far-fetched. It was even more surprising when you consider the messenger, Jonah himself. Despite the outward obedience in chapter 3 to God's directive to go to Nineveh and preach that we see in verse 1, it is difficult to think that his heart was entirely in it. Here God's told him twice. Jonah ran the first time, completely ran. He got thrown into the belly of the whale. While his actions in this character stand in marked contrast to the disobedience of chapter 1 and the brooding petulance uh, of chapter 4, it is much to expand and to expect that he preached. As Richard Baxter did in England of the 17th century, as a dying man to dying men, his mission was to go to Nineveh and preach. He was not told to care about the Ninevites. He would do his duty and go home. Yet the Ninevites believed the prophet of God. More than that, they believed the God of the prophet. Oh, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least. So it wasn't so much that they believed the man that was sent there, the prophet, but they believed the God of the prophet. That kind of speaks volumes about what Jonah's obedience finally did. When God puts a project in front of us, if we consider first and foremost having compassion the way God would have compassion, we could be world takers, world shakers. We could turn things around. We wouldn't have to worry about people living an upside-down life because they would be grieving like the Ninevites did over their sins. This is the message that we are to bring today. So many shy away from it because we don't want to offend someone. We don't want to say something that uh, is going to cause grief. We don't want to preach about homosexuality or anything else that uh, is contrary to what the Bible says because we're afraid it's going to offend somebody. The word of God is meant to offend those who are walking in sin. Let me tell you, that's why it is a two-edged sword. One side is meant to cut away what is not like God. The other side is to promote healing. The word of God is meant to hurt. When God prunes us, it hurts because that means he's cutting away something that is not like him and something that he does not like and promoting his ways in our life. It's promoting the compassion that we could be lacking. In verse 6, we're told that the news reached the king of Nineveh. Perhaps he was aloof from many of the everyday events happening in the capital. But Nineveh had been gripped by something so monumentous that it was only a matter of time before some of the gossip filtered through to him. He may have insisted on hearing the whole story from the beginning to the end. Now, this is the king of Nineveh. He's going by what he's being told by gossip. The king could have reacted in a number of different ways. The actions of the people in declaring a fast and putting on sackcloth was so widespread that to an onlooker, it must have appeared like it was organized. 
It could easily have been interpreted as the work of seditious forces, a strange and potentially dangerous movement afoot, the threat of, of civil unrest, something to be stamped upon before it spread any further. And this was particularly so when a public outpouring of grief at their violent and cruel ways looked very much like a respect the king to view it as, as a prelude to a popular uprising and deal with it with customary brutality. But he didn't do that. He could have decided to sit it out until the emotion had passed. Perhaps he, too, could have sought to harness the citywide outpouring of grief to his own ends in the same way, adopt a sympathetic and populist approach that would endure him to the people and serve as an elderly example in political expediency. None of these options is taken. You know, the king, he didn't take any of these things that he could have done. Instead, he's affected in precisely the same way as the people. The king even repented. Now, the king of Nineveh, we see that in verse 6. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Even the king of Nineveh heard the Lord's cry through Jonah, and he himself went into a fast and sackcloth and sat in ashes. You know, this is a neat symmetry. Uh, to the king's response in verse 6. He gets up, takes off his, and puts on his uh, uh, sackcloth and sits down. It's a remarkable act in, in a spontaneous humility and repentance. Isn't that what this world needs today? Spontaneous humility and repentance? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing, going to the people, going to the highways and byways and teaching and preaching the gospel? But to do that, the number one thing we have to have is compassion. If we have, don't have that compassion, we're going to be like Jonah. We're going to be running from everything that comes up, every opportunity God puts in front of us. King. In one sense, it was a simple gesture not requiring a great deal of energy, and probably not taking very far geographically. In another sense, it cost him everything, and a single step equated with a period of light years. In a matter of minutes, he had personally taken himself from the top of society and placed himself deliberately at its very bottom. This is the king of Nineveh that put himself in that place. Ashes speak of fire and judgment. Dust speaks of the end of all men. The king is saying, despite his earthly privileges, it is among the dust of death that he rightly belongs. Such an act and such a statement was all the more astonishing for the fact that he only heard the word of God Second hand. Can you imagine that? He didn't hear it directly 
He heard it secondhand. But the message was so strong, it caused even the king to repent with a secondhand message. Seven and eight shows us the king's decree. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. So you see, folks. Even the king off of a secondhand message because Jonah finally decided to obey and go to his enemies and show compassion. We need to consider how strong compassion is in our lives. When God tells us to go somewhere and to do something, we need to consider how strong our own compassion is going to be. So when God has a task for you, welcome it wholeheartedly. Welcome it with the kind of compassion that God has shown to you. And let that compassion be reflected to those that you're going to see. Brother Woodard? Glory to God. No compassion. Awesome word. Awesome word. A couple of things that stuck out to me, Pastor, is the universal response to the Word of God is repentance. And God knew that by sending Jonah would repent from their sin. So when you when you talk about the king hearing the word and repenting, one name that popped in my mind. King Charles III in Great Britain. Who is the Jonah that God has sent to Great Britain? And it, it reminds me of a proverb of 29 and 2 where it says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bears rule, the people mourn. And it, it, it's interesting that Jonah was sent to the people of Nineveh, but I believe that the most important person that needed to hear the word of God was the king. That's a powerful message, Pastor. Thank God for it. Powerful message. And Nineveh believed the prophet of God, but more than that, they believed the God of the prophet. The God of the prophets. So who is God sending? Who is being disobedient right now? Because the one that God is sending that's being disobedient, the people are mourning. Pastor, can you pray for us tonight? Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we just stand in awe of who you are. We stand in awe of what you represent in our lives. Father, as we go forth today, 
Please help us to show compassion, to receive that compassion from you, but to show that compassion to everyone we come in contact with. We never know, Father, when that compassion, when that message that you have given to us is going to reach even the highest authority. So, Father, that we stand and we be obedient servants to you, first and foremost, and to honor your word in our lives. Father, to show the very same compassion that you give to us. And, Father, we thank you that you find us worthy to go through trials and tribulations for your name's sake, that we can honor you always through our actions, through our words, and through our deeds. We give you praise and honor and glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. I know everyone enjoyed that word tonight. If anyone wants to make a comment, just press number one and, and I'll chime you in. Amen. This was an awesome word, uh, uh, a right now word, because when I when I think about what what Pastor said, it was recorded as the greatest revival ever, because Nineveh was a great city. He said around one hundred and twenty thousand. Everybody in that city repented because they heard the word of God. Imagine if the city of Atlanta, if the city of Henderson, if the city of New York, if the city of Miami would repent. Glory to God. Pastor Fair, we thank you, sir. God bless you. Great well, work. Thank, well, I'm, I'm just thankful for the opportunity, and uh, it's always a pleasure to be here on the podcast. Great word. So we want to close out by saying we, we, we thank God for, for Pastor Stephen and Ann Butterfield for allowing us to, to bring this message tonight. And on behalf of them, we want to say we we love you. We got, God bless you. Thank God for you. And remember, next week, same time, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, tune in to Turn On The Light Broadcast with Stephen and Ann Butterfield by calling 917-388-4161. God bless you. Love you. Talk to you later, Pastor. Good night. Good night.